1 John 2 through 1. Marvin knew I was reading this morning, so he gave me a short one, but he did give me a big word to say. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, he have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Beloved, again, it's good to see all of you. Some of you haven't been able to be here for a while, and you're back with us, and we appreciate that as well. Um, And thank you for that. Brothers and sisters, we've been talking about why Jesus came to the earth. Um, You know, uh, I used to think there's basically one reason. There was one main reason, and that is that he came to earth to die on a cross so we could be saved from our sins and live with him for an eternity in heaven instead of having a Why Jesus left heaven and came to the earth for a short time. Uh, six of those were in the Gospel of John. And, and so some of y'all said to me, man, I didn't know there was that many. Jesus himself said, we looked at the I come or I have come verses. That said and, and explained why he came. So now he, his work on earth is done. He came for a particular reason as we've studied those 12 things. So why did he return to heaven? In my much younger days when I was a new Christian, I had this this false idea that we know why Jesus came to the earth, pretty much. We know why he's going to return. We, we talk about the second coming. But what about when he's in heaven? In between those two times, his first and second advent, as we would say. And I had this idea that basically Jesus was kind of sitting up there on his throne, just kind of, you know, uh, doodling his thumbs, uh, you know, borders, whatever, you know, waiting for the Lord to return, just for God to say, okay, it's time for you to go back down and judge the earth now. And, and brethren, nothing could be further from the truth. And I was very naive to even have that idea because Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is always going to be busy. He never has a moment that he doesn't have a purposeful uh, goal in mind. And so why did he return to heaven? He tells us why he did that. Wouldn't it have been better, brethren, if he had just remained here after the, re- after the resurrection and set up his earthly kingdom that the disciples supposed he was going to do and wanted him to do? Wouldn't a visible king with a throne on this earth, as the disciples were saying, in Jerusalem, in our, in our midst, wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be great that we, as, as subjects of the Lord's kingdom, as servants in his kingdom, could to take a pilgrimage maybe once a year to Jerusalem? Jerusalem and visit our king in person? Wouldn't that be great? That's what the disciples had in mind. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. So why did Jesus go back to heaven? Number one, he says in order to receive a kingdom. Jesus came here to begin his kingdom. He went back to heaven to receive it. As we study Acts chapter 2, and we have in the Lord's church a lot, Christ went back to receive a throne situated, situated on the right hand of God. And so for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus talked to his disciples about the kingdom, and it's coming soon. It, was, it fell on deaf ears, so to speak, brethren. They had an idea that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom and rule from Jerusalem and nothing could be further from that and he tried to tell them at the very onset of his ministry throughout his ministry and for 40 days after he resurrected from the grave and it was not until after 2 that Acts chapter 2 that they finally understood it 
And so they ask him in Acts chapter 1, 6, they ask him, Lord, is it now? Are you going to establish the kingdom in Jerusalem now? And Jesus said to them, it's not the now that's important. It's not the when, you know. They understood his kingdom, brethren. They didn't understand its nature. And so, more importantly than the, than the when was how will the kingdom come. And, and so Christ explains that to them. And in chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he, says, he said, this is the thing you need to understand. But you will receive power, talking to the, the twelve, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, <clears throat> and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and then even to the remotest or uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, they were going to cover the whole globe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they do that, then they will be establishing the kingdom of Christ. They will be establishing the church. They will be establishing the ecclesia. But in order for them to do that, Jesus himself must return to heaven. He's going to be there ruling from heaven. Because as long as he's here on the earth, they would depend upon Christ to do it. That's why in chapter Acts 1 verse 6 they said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says to them, no, you are. You will be my witnesses, beginning at Jerusalem and then throughout the whole earth. Now, brothers and sisters, that you applies to you and me today. That we're still the disciples of Christ. We are to have the same mission as we looked at last week. So that you applies to us. You will go and tell, and the kingdom will be established, Jesus says. That's how it's established. Going and telling by Christ's disciples today still causes the kingdom to grow. Why is the Lord Church not growing today? Brethren, it's not, a ta it's not rocket science. It's easy. For the most part, we've quit going and telling. We get amongst ourselves, but we're not doing, obeying the Great Commission. In Acts 2, we see the beginning of the kingdom and Christ. I'm sorry, the kingdom of Christ, which is his church as we call it today. And, and then how to enter it. There, there Jesus uh, poured out his spirit on the twelve and they began to witness of Christ just as he said they were going to, beginning at Jerusalem. And as a result, people came to Jesus and was added to his kingdom. And they asked in order to do that in Acts 2.38, uh, men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter told them, you, and so he said, what? You are to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of the Father, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And about 3,000 did that, and they were added to the Lord's church. And then what happened? After those new disciples came into the church, the Bible tells us this is the rest of the book of Acts as you study it. A man told a man who told a man who told a man who told a man until every man was told. They covered the whole globe, brothers and sisters, with the gospel of Jesus. So did Jesus return to heaven because his work was completed on earth? No. We studied that last time. He says to Luke, O Theopolis, the things that Jesus began to do. He's not through, brothers and sisters. His kingdom was not yet established while he was on the earth. He went back to heaven to begin a work 
so that you could enter into that work of the kingdom. We, we are kingdom workers, and we enter into the work of the kingdom of the church here. Brethren, we need to get over this inferiority complex that causes us to believe that we can't do what God tells us to do or what God has commanded us to do. If, God's, if it's God's will, and I find a whole lot of God's will in this Bible, then if it's God's will, we can do it because the Bible says God has given us the ability to do it. When he told the disciples that you're going to be witnesses um, for me in, beginning in Jerusalem, he said, but first you're going to be endued with my power. Brothers and sisters, we don't have time today, but I would encourage you to go to a concordance and you read every scripture that talks about the kingdom. You know what? When you do that, it'll make you happy. It'll make you joyful. You'll be encouraged. It will. Why did Jesus leave here? To sit down. Not to rest, but to rule on God's right hand on the throne. He went away to be enthroned. He went back so we could receive the kingdom, number one. He also went back, secondly, as he's going to tell us here, in order to send his spirit. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus tried to teach about the Holy Spirit, but his apostles kept interrupting him. And so, let's read some of these verses and then, and then tie them together, okay? In John 14, verses 15 through 18, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He, Jesus has been their helper to this point. He's returning to heaven. So he's going to send another helper so that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then the same chapter, verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And then we see in chapter 15, now again, brethren, there's times of interruption that he has to leave this subject and come back to it. And he says in chapter 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay? And then, brethren, chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. They didn't feel that way. He said, it's for your benefit. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If Jesus hadn't returned to heaven, there would be no Holy Spirit to indwell us today. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Brothers and sisters, Jesus um, said the Spirit will be with you. He will be your counselor. He'll be your helper. He'll be your comforter. He will be your guide, and he will be with you forever as I have been with you in the past. And then John 16, verses 12 and 13. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Oh, brethren, isn't that, is that not a problem? I'm sure Jesus has the same trouble today. Sometimes when I'm studying the Bible with people, it's just 
it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm, I'm getting an information overload. I, I, I've got to let some of this sink in. I've got to absorb it for a little while before I can take that next step, you know? And, and so Jesus said, there are a lot of things I wanted to say to you that I wanted to teach you, but you, you can't bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So, brethren, that's the job of the Holy Spirit today. Now, uh, Jesus said, I wanted to tell you more, but you weren't able to receive it right now. You're just not ready for it right now. So when the Spirit comes, he's going to tell you the rest. He's going to tell you what I wanted to tell you, but wasn't able to. Brothers and sisters, if you want the complete revelation of God, you move on from the gospel. Jesus taught what he taught while he was here. Chad did an excellent job in uh, Bible class this morning pointing out a lot of that. Jesus says, you know what, I've not told you everything. So if you want the complete truth on something, you have to study from Acts to Revelation also. It's all part of God's Word. And that is the completed revelation of God. I've had people say to me, um, they, they call themselves uh, advocates of red only. And, and what they mean by that, they say, what I study is only what's in the red. In other words, the very words of Jesus Christ. Now, brethren, we certainly need to study that. Of course we do. But they're, they're cheating themselves because Jesus sent his Holy Spirit so that we could be led, as he said, into all truth, okay? Into the additional truth. And so if we just stay in the Gospels, we're cheating ourselves, okay? Not that we should slight them in any way whatsoever. But beloved, I'm glad Jesus went back. After studying this, I'm glad Jesus returned to heaven because if he didn't, we wouldn't have all the truth on baptism or the church or any other subject that we can study about from Acts onward if Jesus hadn't returned to heaven and sent his Spirit. So Jesus went back to send his Holy Spirit who would remind the apostles of what Jesus had already taught them and to reveal the rest that he would have taught if they could have received it. So when we read the New Testament, we read what the Spirit came to reveal. But that's not all the Spirit came to do. That's important, of course. The Bible says he came to, as John 16, 8 says, to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, brethren, we have all these blessings in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit works through God's people to convict people of their sin, okay? That's the way we do it. We go out, we talk to people in a loving way, not in a condescending way, not in a, I'm holier than thou, I'm a sinner saved by God's grace, I'm one beggar wanting to show the other beggar where the feast is, you know, kind of thing. And we, and we humbly lead them to Jesus Christ and help convict them of their sins. We need to continue to do that. Why else did Jesus return to heaven? Thirdly, the Bible says to become my high priest and to offer a one-time for all-time sacrifice for sin. Brethren, this is where we miss it sometime in the church. We say, well, Jesus died for us on that cross, and when he shed his blood on that cross, then, then that's when we were saved at that very moment, or that, you know, that we say redemption's work was completed right then. Brethren, you need to do a very careful study of the book of Hebrews, and you see there was another step. See, a sacrifice that is sufficient doesn't need any help. We understand that. Jesus paid it all, as we sing in that song. He paid it all, and the book of Hebrews brings that out in a marvelous way 
And the cross was where he paid the price. But where did he offer the blood? It was, in the, it was on the great altar in what the Old Testament refers to as the Holy of Holies. Brethren, the Bible in Hebrews tells us this as it does what's called a type any type. Takes images and things from the Old Testament and brings them into the New. It says that when Jesus died on that cross, that it was in the, quote, spiritual holy of holies that he offered that sacrifice. The only place a sin offering could be made in the Old Testament was inside the veil, inside the holy of holies, where the presence of God dwelt. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 explains this. Listen to this carefully, brethren, because if this is new to you, sometime the first time, you've you got to run through it a couple times. You might want to write this verse down and study it. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. He's referring back to the Old Testament and the tabernacle and the, and, and the temple in Jerusalem, and how they would go yearly to offer that great sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, and the high priest would take the blood of the bulls and the goats and the rams and all that had been sacrificed and go in and sprinkle the altar and everything in the Holy of Holies in order for the people to be able to be uh, forgiven by that blood or by that offering. And so he's saying it's not like that. It's not in a physical sense, okay? Not made with hand, that is to say, now this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Brethren, that's when it was finished. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, he's talking about under the old covenant, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself, he became the sacrificial lamb, who offered himself, through the, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how would that cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's saying, you know what, when Jesus died on the cross, he did exactly what was done under the old covenant in a type and a type way, in a spiritual sense. He went through that, Baal, he went into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, and he said, here's the blood that's been offered for the sins of your people. The only place that it could be done was there, brothers and sisters. And so then our anchor, our hope, the Bible goes on to tell us is secure in the sin offering of Jesus Christ. And if you're anchored in Christ... If you are a Christian, a servant of God, there's no power on earth or in hell that can tear you away from him against your will. You need to read Hebrews chapter 6 and 9 and 10, brothers and sisters, for a full explanation of this. Study those diligently because it says there that God has assured our salvation by both a promise and an oath, which gives it a, a double strength. That makes it sure, the Bible says there, because it is impossible for God to lie. And if God makes that promise, and if God makes that oath, and he cannot lie, then he's going to keep that promise and that oath. And so God has assured our salvation by the resurrection, the essential, I'm sorry, the ascension, and the arrival of Christ at the throne of God. And the Holy of Holies. He secured eternal redemption for
for all of mankind by offering a one-time, for all time, sacrifice for sin. These chapters in Hebrews bear that out. So he goes on to say then, after he writes all that, he said in chapter, uh, he said in chapter 10, then what should our response be to this good news? What should our response be to the high priest who offered himself for the sins of the people and shed his blood on that cross? What should our response be? And the apostle comes on very strong in, in Hebrews chapter 10, and he said, you know, this is what your response should be. Now, brethren, understand he's talking to a persecuted people. And he says, what do you do? After explaining that in verse 10, he begins in verse 22, and he said, you need to draw, I'm sorry, you need to draw near to God. Verse 23, you need to hold steadfast to my hope, not give it up. Troy talked about hope today. He said you need to spur one another to love and good deeds or good works, verse 24. He says you need to encourage one another by assembling together, verse 25, and by not forsaking that assembly, even though you were being persecuted to death if you were caught in worship to God. He said you hold fast to the covenant of grace, verse 26 through 31. And then he says we are to persevere through all of our trials, verse 32 through 39. Brothers and sisters, we can do every bit of that because Jesus died on that cross and presented the blood of the Lamb before the Father on that altar in heaven on our behalf. Jesus went back to heaven and offered a one-time sacrifice so you and I could do all these things he's mentioned here. Does that have any insignificance? Does that have any significance to me that he's the, on the throne in heaven ruling now? Yes, it does. And then, finally, he went back to make intercession on our behalf. That's why I had um, Mr. Black read that big word. That's right, sweetie. Amen. Read Hebrews 4, Romans 8, 1 John 2. In Hebrews 7, the Bible says about Jesus that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. That means that's constant. That's what he's doing in heaven, brothers and sisters. Jesus came to this earth, was tempted in every way as we are, as Hebrews says, yet remained sinless. And so since he's been tempted in every way as we are, he returns to heaven, and he returns to heaven, and he's sinless. And what he do, um, why did he do that? Why, why was Jesus tempted in every way? Why did Jesus go through every temptation the devil ever throws at mankind? Why did he have to go through every bit of that, except, as the Bible says, without sin? Why did he do that? So that he could return to heaven, brothers and sisters, and make intercession for us. So that he can say to God, basically, been there, done that. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like when the devil opens up with both barrels. I was in the human flesh, just as they were. And so, what does he do? What does he live for? He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. And because he does that, he goes on to say in verse 25, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Are you drawing near to God, beloved? 
That's our, that's our responsibility. God draws near to you. Are you drawing near to God? A lot of people aren't. A lot of Christians aren't. Jesus went back to heaven, brothers and sisters, in order to plead our case. We need Jesus to plead our case. Amen? Is there anyone in here that hadn't sinned for an entire week? I'm not raising Raise your hand. Uh-uh. We need Jesus to do that, brothers and sisters. Have you ever gotten down on yourself? Of course. Of course. We get so low, we could sit on a Kleenex and still have room to swing our legs. I'm serious, brethren. We, you, you, you ever beat up on yourself? Put yourself down? You, you know what I need when I get low, brothers and sisters? You know what I need? I need to know what the Son and the Savior is saying about me in heaven in front of my Father. You need that. Am I the only one that need him to intercede for this sinner? I need to know how the Father feels about me. And he's not hidden that from us, brethren. He tells us clearly in his word. You know, there are a lot of people that believe that we serve some distant, unattached God that rarely thinks of us at all. He's in heaven, we're on the earth. He's got better things to do than be concerned with us wicked human beings, you know. And, and we surely don't deserve any of his attention, which is true, brethren, that part of it. But the Father loves us as much as he does his Son. He says that basically in John three sixteen and 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. His Spirit indwells us and Jesus is interceding for us. Both of those things going on at the same time. So then why do we get down? Why do we get low? Why do we doubt? As long as my Father loves me, my big brother Jesus intercedes for me. And God's Spirit lives within me. Then what have I to fret over? What have I to fume over? What do I have to fear? Beloved, I, I've got to preach on this, but in one of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible is fear not. We don't have any reason to fear if we've got a God that loves us, a Son that intercedes on our behalf, and a Holy Spirit that indwells us. Read Romans 8. It says all of that. If God be for us, and He is, then who can be against us? The faithful Christian will be in heaven someday, brethren. I plan to be there. Thanks to God. Thanks to Jesus. Thanks to God's Holy Spirit. Thanks to that sacrifice on the cross. Thanks to the fact that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. I want to be in heaven because there I'll be able to preach good then. There I'll be able to sing good then. There I'll be able to worship without the restraints of this sinful flesh. But I'll be there someday 
because my wonderful Savior ever lives to make intercession on my behalf before the Father who loves me so much. Are you there, friend? Are you in Christ? We'll be more than happy to show you how to do that today so you can be there also while we stand and sing.